March 5th, 
you missed that. Why don't we try that again so we can hear old Fred? <laughs> old Fred, who's come back from the uh, from the cocktail party at the, you know. <laughs> He just about makes it to the stop, top of the stairs when suddenly... Oh! <laughs> I know what I'm laughing about. This is... <laughs> this is sad. Of course, the next sequence you hear, it takes place in a divorce court. <laughs> you know, it goes on and on. But uh, this, is, this is a subject which... Uh, which uh, as I say, I approach with some uh, uh, some uh, delicacy because it's it's something you don't read. It's not discussed much in our society. Everybody talks about the the evils of drugs. Oh, there's constantly guys being interviewed on on the very serious uh, type radio shows and the Sunday afternoon TV shows. You know, we have this moderator named Lawrence who sits and looks very official, and uh, they're always discussing uh, drugs with a priest and an ex junkie and a dealer, and a social worker. Always a social worker gets in on that scene. And uh, they rarely talk to pharmacists, though, or pharmacologists. They, they never get in on that. The guys that really know about these, they never ask. However, uh, that's part of the human condition anyway. But nevertheless, that's constant on our time. Ta- constant talk about drugs. Hardly anybody talks about what is truly the number one, <laughs> the number one drug of them all, man. And that's... that's uh, Let's put it this way, booze. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, it's well overlaid, right? It, it really is, you know. And, and, and when, when you talk about it, people tend to get a little nervous because they all drink it. They don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about a real problem, you know, grass, uh, which is nothing compared to the number of guys that, you know, tie on a smooth fall and then proceed to try to level a safety island. I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> really. I've never I've never known a guy to drive a Buick a Skylark through a four-story apartment building from one end to the other under the influence of grass. But I've known many a guy to do that under the influence of just you know three or four bottles of moderately cheap wine. So let's face it, it's a, it's a scene. Now I'm not and I'm not going to you know it, it, it's not in me to lecture. I'm not a lecturer. Uh, I think that's another thing that we're getting so damn tired of in our time. We are surrounded by lecturers. That's known uh, today to the psychological trade as the Nader syndrome uh, or, or the Nader complex. And we are constantly being lectured on, uh, on, all, on all sides of us, you know, uh, about what life is about and what, what we should do and how we should straighten up and what we should do to straighten up. And, of course, the guy that's doing the lecturing, it's always presumed that he's above these earthly failings. Uh, that's why he's lecturing on this. He's, he's uh, risen above evil, so well, which is highly uh, doubtful if one knows anything about it at all, about the human condition. Often the lecturer is the guy that has the biggest secret to hide. There have been many novels written about this, you know, that the, that the, that the man who, who, who trumpets reform is often the one guy uh, who is driven by a coal sore on his soul that was brought about by some indiscretion which he prefers society not to know. So lecturers are abounding on all sides of this. I mean, you're not going to hear one tonight. I'm not a lecturer. I can only say this, though, that some of the more exotic experiences in my time, my life, were somehow connected with and were involved with 
drink or the procuring of drink and the consequences of both. Now, I'm making no value judgment on this. I personally am not a drinker, really not. I'm, uh, you know, me, uh, I'm, I'm a one martini uh, a, a week man, possibly. Uh, it's never gotten a hold of me, but I've seen some fascinating stuff as a result of drinking. By the way, I do like wine, I must say this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going on record saying that, uh, that uh, who was it who said that uh, God must have loved man? He must have, because he created wine. <laughs> I've heard that said. Now, there can be arguments on both sides of that. See, they, you could say wine is the work of the devil, but it's the work of the devil because man himself has got the devil deeply ingrained in him. And the man can make of the most benevolent thing the work of evil. Or man or the devil. You know, you're getting into theology here. <laughs> and I'm not about to get into that. However, I can say this, that a, that a, that a glass of truly elegant, really fine, vintage uh, year, uh, say, uh, Chablis, is a sublime work. <laughs> it really is. And uh, on the other hand, if you drink four barrels of it, and you wind up falling down the stairs and then burning down the house as a consequence. I'm not so sure that it is a benefit. But, th you know, this is, this, is, uh, this is of our time. In fact, you know, I remember, I don't know how many of you really have a good memory. I've always said that, uh, that uh, uh, most people don't believe anything unless it appears officially in Time magazine. Then they'll believe it. Uh, or it appears on a front-page story in the Times, or Walter Cronkite thunders an editorial, then it becomes official. But I can remember about, well, how long, Lee, would you say, that I did a show on the air, on this very channel, saying that in my uh, travels among colleges and so on, that I predicted within a short time, drink, was going to be the number one hang-up of kids. Oh, it's been at least four or five years ago. At least. And by the way, I was shouted down by everybody all around me because there was a period where people believed that drinking was an adult thing. You remember they used to say, that's the old generation, that's their hang-up, that's their high, uh, it's grass for me, man, all the way. Well, I said that was a, that, that, that was a passing phase, and the drink would ultimately grow to be a really big deal and uh, I don't like to say I told you so but look around uh, that's all I got to say it happens to be true now well it came about for a number of things first of all it came about for one thing we live in a soft drink society by a soft drink society I mean that very few people even today drink water in other words the idea of going in the kitchen and getting a glass of water is a thing that is as much out of the past, really, as uh, going out and jumping on your horse and riding down to the livery stable. That ain't done often either. But uh, what do you do? person goes, opens up the refrigerator, whenever they're thirsty, and they, they drink, uh, what, name it, uh, Coke, Pepsi, 7-Up. But it's always a drink that is related to fun. In other words, drinking is a fun thing. It's not a thing you use to swash your thirst. So it, it follows, then, that you should have soft drink type alcoholic beverages, which is what I predicted. This was long before the success of all the so-called fruit wines and the flavored wines. You can even get, you know, chocolate wines. You can get all this kind of stuff now. 
And, uh, yeah, you can. I mean, it's barbaric, but you can. <laughs> Let's face it. <laughs> you really can. So, so, uh, yeah, so it's not at all uncommon, you know, for, for nine-year-old kids to have a six-pack of uh, something that has about as much explosive quality as the average stuff that the wino down on the Bowery is absorbing. In fact, it's usually the same stuff, although it's got a jazzier bottle and it comes with a cute little Donald Duck on its side or something. But anyway, uh, the point of this whole thing is tonight, I'll, I'll never forget, uh, speaking of, uh, of, of uh, dramatic, exotic moments, uh, in connection with uh, drink, I was um, one 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 story. I think I told a story, you know, uh, before on the air, but it bears repeating for those of you who have never known it. How many of you know what uh, actually know what uh, what corn is? Now, I'm not talking about the kind of stuff that Don Rickles does on the Tonight Show. I'm talking about corn. Now, it is not often called corn among the people who actually drink it. It's often called by other names. One of the most common names, by the way, is smoke. You ever heard it called smoke? Well, maybe that's a Kentuckyism. Uh, it could very well be, because I first ran into smoke in Kentucky. And uh, I was in a party. Well, I went to, went to this guy's apartment one night, and this was in a Kentucky town. And I had an apartment in the next town. It was a very tough Kentucky town, you know. They, there's some towns that are on the border of Kentucky, right on the Ohio River, that, that are tough towns. They're, they're all night, uh, let it all hang out towns. And they have everything from roulette to you name it going on in certain places there. So anyway, I go to, go to this guy's house, and we arrive at the house, and a whole bunch of people in this apartment, and it's Kentucky. I'm just learning about Kentucky. And uh, this friend of mine says, hey, listen, he says, uh, he says, uh, George says that uh, we got to go pick up some smoke. And I said, smoke? You got to figure they're going to get a, a, a carton of uh, Lark 100s or something. You know, <laughs> the guy says, hey, come on, let's go. So we go out in the guy's car. And I said, the smoke, what is that? He says, smoke, you mean you know what smoke is? And I said, no, I don't. He says, well, I, I guess because you're from the north, you probably call it corn liquor. Because that's what, what it's called down here. He said, now, the reason they call it smoke is because... It has a smoky color. The really good corn has a kind of a smoky silver color to it. Now, there is a kind of kind of uh, corn liquor that is clear and white. It's like uh, it's like water. He says, but we like the kind that has a, has a slight smoky color to it, and that's why we call it smoke. And I said, well, that's, that's interesting, Don. Uh, how, where do we go to get the smoke? Uh, go down to Fred's Liquor Store? Oh, he said, my God, you don't go down there to get smoke. It's a real thing. And I says, well, what happened? He said, well, you just follow and keep your mouth shut. Well, at that point, we drove out of town. And we drove along this road. We're about two or three miles out of town. It's absolutely dark, nothing but a couple of old signboards sticking out of the weeds. And we're deep, deep, boy, deep in the, in the beginnings of the foothills of the Kentucky mountains that we're driving along. <laughs> And, and I said, where are you taking me down? There can't be no liquor store. He said, I'm not taking you no liquor store. I'm going to get some smoke, man. He says, and, and you got to know how to get it? He says, it's all set up. We just, all we got to do is pick it up. He said, you just sit back and watch what happens. Well, we drive along about two miles into this darkness, when suddenly, without any warning, he turns into, it wasn't, I, I, won't, I won't dignify it by saying it was a gravel road. It was just like a, like a little pathway you could see where there had been cars driven into there in the past, you know. 
but it's grown over. We drove into this little pathway into the into the undergrowth. And it's, you know, the stuff is hitting the side of the car, and we're banging along up and down through holes and rocks and over logs and stuff. And we finally drive, well, I'd say about a quarter of a mile into these woods. And he's looking around all the time. See, he's got his lights on. He's looking around. And, and finally he sees what I guess he, he was looking for. See, he says, okay, okay here's, here's it. we're here. Now, don't say nothing. Just sit in the car. He's just sit in the car for a minute. Be quiet. I said, what's for? Don't, what's going on? out of your side. And he says, when you get out, he says, walk right through the lights. I says, what for? He says, don't, don't be stupid, do what I tell you. Walk through the lights so they can see you. I says, see me, who, who? Do what I say. So I get out of the car and I walk around, I get in the lights. He gets out of his side, he walks in the lights. At that point, he walks right down a beam of light. You know, there was a lot of trees and stuff and all kinds of fallen logs. And we walk around this tree, and he knew exactly where he was going. Don just reaches down to the bottom of the tree. I couldn't believe what I see. He reaches down to the bottom of the tree, and there's a hole. It's like a hollowed-out part of the tree there. See, he just reaches down, and he takes out this one-gallon jug. It's right in the tree here. He takes out the one-gallon jug. There it is, you know. And he holds it up like that, see, in the light. And I say, wow. Okay, he says, uh, you got five bucks? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, get it out. So I reach in my pocket. I take out the five bucks, give it to him. He takes the five bucks, and he just sticks it into the log. <laughs> he says, okay, now walk back along the light. So we walk back along the light, and we get, get into the car. And at that point, he just takes the horn. He goes, beep, beep, like that. Close the door, and we start backing out. Boom, 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 over the rocks and stuff. And, you know, banging out. We finally get on the road. He turns around. We drive back to town. He doesn't say a word. I said, Don, that was fantastic. He said, well, yeah. He said, you know, he says, uh, them boys, uh, them boys do good business. He said, I'll tell you this. He says, they turned out the best smoke in this county. It's worth going for. I said, well, why do we have to get out and stand in the light? They want, they want to make sure that who ordered this stuff comes for it. They don't want to have no guys coming down from the revenue department suddenly showing up. He says, so we had to step right out and, and walk around in the light and let them know that we was clean and we wasn't carrying. I said, carrying what? Man, you just don't know what you... You don't know anything, do you? <laughs> okay. And, and that smoke, that night, that night the smoke was brought back to the party. And I can only assure you that if you've never had true Kentucky smoke, you don't know what corn liquor is like. It's got a very odd, a very distinctive taste. And I might add, Kentucky smoke produces a headache that rivals a nuclear bomb. Speaking of bombs, this is W—I mean, this is WOR, New York, <laughs> and we'll be right back after these commercials. Okay. Now, what what set me off? You know, thinking about this, uh, you know, this whole phenomena of drink. You know that, the, that it, is, it is recognized that one of the first actual created foods that the earliest Paleolithic man, the, the, the true early man, now when I say created, that's as opposed to natural food. Like say, you know, uh, the guy goes and gets a fish and eats it. That's a natural food. 
he goes out and he, uh, he uh, kills a rabbit and he eats the flesh. That's a natural food. It's there. See, he didn't create this. But one of the very first examples of the created food came about, according to some uh, theorists, when uh, they picked berries or they picked uh, possibly uh, nuts of some kind, and they were, they were brought back to the shelter or the cave, and there was water there, and they remained there for several days. And without knowing it, of course, this guy was actually fermenting up a little mash. And, uh, <laughs> and they ate it. See, in those days, there weren't, there weren't people that said, yuck. Uh, whatever you did, you ate what was there. See, so they, they ate these berries that had been kept in the in a, maybe a, a clay pot or something with the water had gotten in on it, the rain had come down, and it was fermented, and they discovered that it, it produced an entirely different effect than plain berries or plain nuts. I mean, the first caveman that went staggering out of the cave singing a very early version of Sweet Adeline uh, was, <laughs> must have been a very historic, it was a historic moment because it established the whole thing for man. He began to, uh, began, they, they say that this happened even before people cooked food, you know, before they used fire to, to uh, cook food. That this actually was the thing that nature did to them. And, and at first they thought that there was some kind of a god involved. Did you know that the, at first they thought that this was a, that some kind of magic had occurred? They didn't understand things like uh, yeast and uh, uh, bacteria and fermentation, all that stuff. They just figured this was some kind of a thing was that possessed them. When they drank this certain thing, they were possessed. And uh, since it gave them a good feeling, uh, they, they thought this was some kind of a good God. This is, incidentally, the back, background of the, uh, of the early, uh, well, the Far Eastern gods, which relate to Bacchus. Uh, the, the god Bacchus, of course, which is the god of grape, the god of fermentation, and he's a benevolent god. Uh, Bacchus is never shown as an evil god. He's, he would be a fantastic character to have in a beer commercial. Uh, Bacchus is always shown jovial, cheering him, laughing with grapes coming out of his hair, and, and for that reason, they, they created whole gods. But, uh, you know, based on drink. And so you notice that uh, the, the drink is always used very, uh, almost universally, in ceremonial occasions. And so it's, it's a very important thing, see, for, uh, for somebody after a race. It's symbolic, by the way. You notice that when uh, uh, A.J. Foyt wins a race, people pour champagne on his head. They don't pour Diet Pepsi on his head. <laughs> they really don't. They pour champagne because uh, when, in, the, in the very earliest of days, the idea of drinking this fermentation stuff was considered a kind of a religious thing. It really was. And it was also a, a, a kind of celebration of existence. And so uh, the idea of guys pouring champagne on each other is very common. You see it in the, in the World Series, although I, I'm sure that Pete Rose does not know the ancient Bacchic origins <laughs> of, uh, you know, some other uh, a pitcher pouring uh, champagne on the top of his head after he triples on the winning run. But uh, it's all part of it. And, and, you know, we tend to think that drink is the curse of our country. You know, one of the things that makes America fascinating to me is that it, is most Americans are so involved in America that they, that they think of problems as American problems. You hear people saying, you know, the American society and uh, this and the American society that. But what we're really talking about in almost every case 
is mankind itself. So if you think the drink is a bad scene, uh, or uh, depending on your viewpoint, if you think drink is a, is a real evil of the American society, I have a fantastically interesting, to me, fa fascinating report from, uh, it's actually an Associated Press report from Moscow about what's happening in Russia. Have you heard about that? All right, listen. Uh, this is an official report from the Associated Press Dateline Moscow. After nearly 60 years of Soviet power, drink is more than ever the curse of the Soviet Union's working classes, and the Kremlin does not seem to be able to do much about it. You know, there's a belief that people drink because they're unhappy or because uh, they're economically depressed, all that sort of thing. Well, ideas like that can only be created by non-drinkers. <laughs> is all I have to say, uh, because the Kremlin is finding out about that. It says, while many Western countries also have serious problems with alcohol, the issue is especially touchy in the Soviet Union, where the communists proclaim, and they have, you know, for many years, they have proclaimed that they are creating a new and sober Soviet man. Twenty years ago, Soviet authorities maintained they had eliminated the basic causes of excessive drinking, namely exploitation by the capitalists, injustice, quote, and the poverty of the toiling masses. Yet, drunkenness is flowering as never before, despite a series of anti-drinking laws, fulminations by top leaders, lectures, Communist Party decrees, newspaper articles pointing out the evil consequences of strong drink. It does not matter. Ivan is tossing it back like he never has. <laughs> and it says, a drive, listen to this description, a drive through Moscow streets in the evening can, in some areas, become an obstacle course of drunken pedestrians. Restaurants are always full, every night, seven nights a week, of Russians downing glass after glass of vodka and cognac. Oh, let me tell you, cognac will blow your ears right off. That... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's the real thing. Does the Soviets probably produce more homebrew than any country in the world? They make it at home, too. <laughs> the bathtub is still in use in Russia, even if it isn't for taking baths. I mean, you know, it says, in a statement that can be widely applied to the Soviet Union, the newspaper Izvestia, that's very official, by the way, pointed to one town. Listen to this. This is not just the AP's comment. This is Zestia. They pointed out one town where people drank vodka, and we quote here, to celebrate every conceivable occasion. What were the occasions? Birthdays. Paydays. The arrival of relatives. They celebrate. Saturdays. They celebrate. Sundays. Vacations. Purchases. Sales. They celebrate everything. And they celebrate all the time. <laughs> Now, I like that, the idea of celebrating a purchase. Come here, can't you just see two guys, you know, two guys in an office on Madison Avenue, see, and uh, in walks Howie, see, and Marty is sitting at his desk. And Marty looks up and says, hey, Howie, how are you? You come just at the right time. At that point, uh, Howie says, what do you got? What do you mean, Marty? What happened? He says, how about it? He says, the glasses are over in the bookcase right behind you. He says, take them two glasses. And I've got the bottle here in the desk. He opens up the desk, 
brings out this bottle of 100 pipers, right? And he says, uh, here, let's pour two, just for each of us. And Howie says, why, why? He says, I bought this new great ballpoint pen, and I'm celebrating. <laughs> oh, man, celebrating a precious... Well, anyway, if you want to hear more about what's going on in Russia, it's pretty wild. You know, the Russians look very straight-faced whenever you see them. They look, you know, they look absolutely solemn at all times. But he says, the frequent press reports on misuse of alcohol show the problem is too serious even to ignore in the Soviet Union, where many social problems are ignored officially in the press. It says, the Kremlin will not divulge the true dimensions of alcoholic consumption because it would probably reflect unfavorably on life in the Soviet Union. Since 1963, for example, statistical books have dropped figures on alcohol production. They don't even mention it anymore. But they are really drinking it. As a matter of fact, according to consumer research statistics in the United States, Americans, how much do you think you, the, the Americans drink per capita of alcohol? That includes whiskey, gin, and vodka. How many gallons spread over the entire population would you get? 10, 15, 10? Okay. It's 2.90 gallons in 1974. 2.9. That includes the whole population, though, remember. Now, what is it in the Soviet Union? Well, according to the most recent statistics, which was the last time they gave out the statistics, which was in 1973, they drank 7.53 gallons of vodka per year. Just vodka. No mention is made of home brew or cognac, or anything else. That's one drink. That, that means that's about almost three times as much as we consume. That's a lot of booze, wow. And uh, to, to combat this, uh, Soviet authorities have raised the vodka prices. They've substituted inferior rotten vodka. They've closed the bars. They've regulated the buying hours. They even built up sobering up stations. They have regular stations where you can go. You know, they pour water on your head and they throw you in a hot shower. They give you hot coffee, the whole business. It has not helped one bit. And right at this very minute, there are guys reeling down side streets in Kiev with a smooth full, going back home to the little woman. There are guys right now sitting with their head drooping, you know, with their hair hanging down into the spilled vodka. There are guys... I wish I could give you the sound of that guy falling down the stairs again. <laughs> Symbolic. You have it up there? Nah, you don't have that guy. Forget it. It's too late for that. We, we've all heard that in our time. And so that concludes tonight's little walk through the seamy side of 20th century life. I don't know. Is it seamy or is it just life? I don't know. I, I predict this. Have you noticed whenever people read science fiction that none of the people of the future...